friends, Annie here from Annie's Pink Chair. I just want to welcome you two to another amazing show. I have a guest on today. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects because I'm so passionate about helping people out of sex trafficking. And I have such amazing friends and I want to introduce you today one of my dear friends that is all the way across the country. Her name is Casey McClure. And For Sarah is a nonprofit faith-based organization that empowers change in the life direction of women and girls working in the sex industry as a stripper, prostitute, escort, porn star, or, which most of them are by the way, victim of trafficking. Casey McClure established For Sarah in 2005 and has trained outreach teams that participate in strip clubs and street outreaches. The For Sarah team has also reaches out to escorts that work online during our call center outreach. Casey, your bio is amazing, but I really want to talk to you and I'm so happy that you're here today. And actually, you're on one of a donated property to help people that are working with you and for Sarah, right? That is correct, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting to to see God come around full circle and just to be so far away from each other. And we're, you know, God called us around the same time and to be able to minister to girls and use our testimonies. It's an honor to be on your show today. Thank you for having me. I know. Me. I, I'm so honored to just know you. And even though it's all been virtual, it, COVID's really brought a lot of people together and you're one of them. And so I watched you from afar and then when you connected with us, it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I mean, I know that you were one of the forerunners and like literally we're helping women since 2005. Can you tell us how did that come about? How did you get into the sex industry? I actually started in the sex industry at 17 years old uh, as a lingerie model. And I got into it because I was a high school dropout and a runaway from home and living on my own and struggling. But I really got into deeper into the sex industry and became a stripper when I came to visit my sister, who is four years older than me. And she was actually working in a strip club in Atlanta, Georgia. And I came to visit her and they offered me a job. And I was 18 years old at this time. And the first conversation that I ever had with a gentleman that was in the strip clubs was at the general manager at the front door. And he stopped me and he said, you're hired. And I, I wouldn't say I looked down at girls that were strippers, but I never thought I would be in that situation until he said, you don't want to make a thousand dollars. So as an 18 year old girl that was struggling, most girls that do struggle, that get ordered to the hotel, they are tempted because of the money. And that's what got me to know. That's what opened the door to that industry. Wow. So why would you say that, I mean, you were struggling? Obviously, money is a big factor, which draws most people in, right? They draw us in with the money factor saying, oh, you can make money for college. You can buy a house. You can buy a car, whatever you want. Is that what you think drew you the most was the money factor? It was the money and it was the attention that I was getting. And it was also, I got all that stuff. Like I got the house, I was able to buy a home. I was able to buy the nice wow. fancy clothes. I was able to buy the nice expensive clothes. But what really kind of, you know, 
me realizing what I was doing was not working for me is my grandmother had passed away. My boyfriend had broke up with me that I was dating at that time because I was a stripper and my brother got arrested for trafficking crystal meth. And so I was at a dark place in my life where I felt alone. And I cried out to God one night while I was dancing. I made $2,500 at night and I cried all the way home. And I asked God to basically save me from myself. I didn't like who I was becoming. I didn't like where I was at. I felt worthless. I felt devalued and I felt unappreciated while I was dancing. Even though I had all these material things around me, I was dying on the inside. Wow. I, I was going to ask you a question about that. Do you remember any of your friends being in the club with them and watching them and their lives fall apart? And did they have pimp boyfriends? Well, back when I danced, um, the money was a lot easier than it is today. We hear girls now that they have to do all kinds of extra things just to make a hundred dollars. Well, when I danced in the industry, the money was a little bit more easier and fast paced. But my sister, actually, I saw my sister suffer a lot of heartache while she danced. She danced for 21 years and I danced for a little over six years. And then my brother even danced. He got into the industry for a year. And so my whole life, we have all been kind of centered around the sex industry. My grandfather was a buyer. He would buy prostitutes. He was murdered in 2004, right after the birth of my daughter, Sarah. He was shot in the head while he was with the prostitute. And she called 911. Oh, wow. through the industry, while I was working in the industry, we didn't talk about pimps and prostitutes. Like that word was like, you know, like we, I wouldn't say when we were in the industry, we didn't assume, we didn't figure everybody was in the industry doing this lifestyle. Like they weren't having to sleep with customers. Um, it kind of grew from there. When I was working in the industry, I started seeing there was one pimp that used to come in there and things have changed now. Like when I think of a pimp, I think of, you know, bright hat, feather hat, bright <laughs> suit. And that there was one particular pimp that used to come into the club and he would, um, he had a girl in there and everybody knew that she worked for him and she would give her money to him. But it wasn't something that you actively saw in the strip club until things got, you know, sex trafficking really started becoming uh, more of a topic discussion and people started right. paying attention. You started realizing right. and, that and- sex trafficking have so I want to backtrack on that because when you first said, well, the money was different back then and you are absolutely correct. What would you say is the reason? And I'll give you my personal take on that. There are way too many girls, people out there being sold and mm-hmm. social media is huge and the internet is huge. And when I worked and like when you worked, that was not a big factor. Everything was private. Most of it was underground. If you went to a strip club, that's what you got, a stripper. If you decided to buy anything further, you paid a lot of, a lot more money. And if you wanted a mistress, that costed even more. So right. do you think, what was your take on why you made more money before the internet you know, expanded itself. I think the industry really preys on the young and vulnerable and the naive 
because I was innocent. Even though I had been a victim, molested as a child, uh, I still had an innocence about me. And I got into the industry and it was, like you said, it was more private, it was more exclusive, it was more one-on-one. Well, then the internet came along and made it more easily available for men to get what they want and women, not just men, but men and women. Right. And it made them where they expect it more. And they would say, well, I can just go down the street and get what I want. You know, what's the difference? And why would I come into a strip club? But the industry just kind of shifted. And that's where we started noticing that there was more and more girls, younger girls, you know, that are really getting lured into this lifestyle. And they're really starting at 14 and 15 years old. Yeah, that really makes sense. And now the Internet, because it's worldwide, obviously, the guys or people that purchase, we're going to call them tricks, buyers, Johns, right? They can just pick up a phone or dial or an email or text like a, a like a number that's a Google number. I'm not downing Google for that, but there's these numbers you can just throw away and use for sex work, right? And yes. I don't like to use that word sex work. I consider a lot of the females that we work with, if not all, have been trafficked or are being trafficked as we're trying to help them. And when you said earlier, Casey, about being in the strip club and not, you know, we're talking about you noticing this trafficking back then, because back then no one really knew the exact signs and what to look for, unless it was just in your face with that pimp saying, hey, I'm a pimp and that's my girl. Or I would say another word because they use other words. I don't want to say it on this show because it's very demeaning and not good for the um, the ears. (laughs) But do you think that that was part of the reason why it wasn't noticed? Because no one actually pointed it out that it was going on. I think through the years, like having advocate groups like your ministry and other ministries that have formed through the years, people started paying attention. And I remember when I first started for Sarah and I, you know, for Sarah is named after my daughter, because when I made the decision to walk away from that lifestyle, it was with the help of my husband. He invited me to church, but I really wanted to be a, give my daughter a chance. And I did not want my daughter to have to go down that life and go into that lifestyle. But just being in that environment, I realized that whenever I made a decision to try to help other girls, people looked at me strange. And till this day, even though I've been out of the industry for 18 years, I'm still labeled that former stripper and tied to the sex industry. So it doesn't matter. And I'm okay with that because God gave me a purpose through that. And it's okay. I have no, um, hurt, you know, I have no pain from working in the industry. I went through it. I'm lucky that I came out on the other side because there's so many girls that we lose that don't make it to the other side that never make it through that life. But just being in that environment and you, when I first told people that, Hey, I want to help strippers and prostitutes and girls in the sex industry, they were like, Oh, that's an Atlanta problem. You know, and we're, we're based out of Conyers, Georgia, but through the years, they started seeing it trickle down into their community. They started seeing police officers arresting pimps and traffickers for exploiting minors. And once they realized, hey, this is our children, they started paying attention and wanting to do something about it. And it's just becoming more, it's a movement, 
but it's always been there. It's just people, their eyes have finally opened and they're starting to pay attention because it's everywhere. It's not just in the cities, the big cities. It's in the small communities. It's in our high schools. It's in the best schools. It's in your church community. It's everywhere. There's girls and boys that are all fit to this industry, no matter what type of lifestyle they have. Right. And or when they grew up in church. If you can define for us, what would you say sex trafficking is? If someone so right now is watching that doesn't understand what we're talking about. So sex trafficking is basically when someone uses force or fraud or coercion to lure someone into the sex industry that may can be just you know, selling themselves online. It might be they might be living in their just staying at their home and trading sex just for food and shelter. Right. It could be a young lady that is 25 years old that is might be having to make a choice to go sell herself on the street but yet she's giving her money to a pimp and that's what happens when most people think oh she chose that lifestyle but sometimes they're forced into that lifestyle and it might have started out as a choice but they might have crossed paths with someone someone that is wanting to control them and uh, manipulate them and use them for their benefit right and so here's another thing that just got brought to mind sitting on someone's couch and he's a director of let's say a porn film or a major motion picture and he says to that person look if you don't do this favor for me you're not getting the gig and this person's like desperate first of all to be loved they're desperate to be famous maybe and maybe they have a brand new house payment and they're going to lose their house or they're going to lose whatever uh their retirement might be and they're going to go ahead and take care of that director and do that sexual favor to get that role in that film. Would you say that's sex trafficking? Yep. yep, that falls under it as well. They are benefiting from that individual for a profit. Right. And that may, even though for her or him, right, it's exploitation. And even though she might feel that um, she chose this lifestyle, her vulnerability and her desire to provide for her family or her children might keep her stuck in that lifestyle, which will make her go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, you know, that gentleman might not beat her this time, but the next gentleman that she crosses uh, paths with, he might beat her every day. And, and so you're so people, nice, by the way, that gentleman. <laughs> that, well, yes, <laughs> let me, well, sometimes, you know, sometimes they're very deceitful. Right. Like sometimes right. the men can come across as very caring and loving and um, supportive. And the next thing you know, he can beat them and hurt them. And, you know, we had a, a young lady who the guy took her child from her and ran across the state lines with her child to control her, to keep her in that lifestyle and keep her in the game. Right. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, it affects all ages all backgrounds and you know so many people want to save the children and we do need to save the children of course but yeah but there are adult women too that are in their 40s and 50s that they've been doing this all their life and they're stuck and they've been beat up and abused all their life and this is all they know so trafficking doesn't just fall under 14 and 13 year old girls that are getting lured from you know by men to sell themselves online or on the streets it also consists of adult women that might have a college degree 
and are desperate to, you know, pay their bills every month and they get stuck in it and get caught up in it. And they could even like seriously be sitting in a really beautiful neighborhood and maybe they got divorced and they lost everything and maybe it was a bad circumstance where they just can't take care of themselves and now they're freaking out. So they're willing to sign up online for an escort service to turn tricks just so they can keep up with the Joneses. Because sometimes society will pressure us to stay in the position we're in and make us feel that we have to perform and we have to have enough money, have to have that nice car. And I feel like sometimes society as a whole is part of our trafficking problem. It's like systematic in some, in some ways. Uh, so, so tell me about for Sarah and why you really, uh, I mean, you started it because of your daughter, because you did not want your daughter to ever grow up like that or ever get into the sex industry. But what does For Sarah do? So For Sarah is actually, we started out as an outreach program. So we would go into the strip clubs and God gave us favor. And we we understand it's a business. We don't go in there with picket signs. We try to go in there in a loving, non-judgmental <laughs> oh, you way. Don't, you don't get mad at anyone no, in there? <laughs> no, no picket signs. Um, we just try to have respect for them. And if we show them respect, they show us respect. But we do go into the strip clubs and we do street outreach and work with girls that are on the street. And then we also have a scholarship program where we give girls money. Um, they have to apply, but there is mm-hmm. a program that they can, you know, they can, it's quarterly and they have to apply and the scholarship committee reviews it, but it's strictly for educational purposes. It could be to pay for their GED classes. It could be to pay for, you know, a thousand dollars toward their tuition and books. It just depends on what their needs are. So we have that. And then in 2013, I was working in a, um, in the hospital and God just told me it was time to step out and just really take a leap. And I was really feeling a tug to help women with children. And what so were you working as in the hospital? A scheduler. I was on the phone okay. scheduling. I was going to say, pl- Casey, I could see you doing like a nurse job. Being so loving no, and friendly. I can't do blood. <laughs> I can't do needles or blood. I don't have the stomach. It's, you know, but I feel God has really got me. This is my passion. Like, I, I love what I do. It's hard work. But yes. the assessment house is what, you know, we, we're in the background. It's actually part of our assessment house. But it was a retreat house that a church donated to us that they were going to tear down. It was their old Boy Scout house. And they donated it to us to use for an assessment house for girls to come to us that are pregnant, that have, um, it's a small house. So we can only house a couple of women at a time, but they That's come okay. to us, right? I know we have to start somewhere, right? Like God tells you to be faithful, the small stuff and he'll bless you with big stuff, right? So right. I'm faithful and I, I love this house. I love that, the property. And we, so we will have women that come here that are fresh off the street or leaving their trafficker or the FBI might, um, arrest their trafficker and try to find them placement. And they come here and we get them to the doctor because some of the girls that come here have never been to a doctor. Right. Some of them have been actively using drugs for seven months during their pregnancy. And they come to us and it's kind of a safe place for them to come for a couple months while they transition either to another program or mm-hmm. some of the girls might get employment. They look for jobs. They try to get their IDs. Like we're trying to get a girl an ID right now. And it's like little things like that, that kind of helps them make that next step to good employment to off, get off the streets, to find safe housing. Right. And then give them their dignity back. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and their self-worth. And would you say Jesus, like in your life, how did this affect you to surrender your life? How has Jesus played that role where your healing came? And do you introduce other ladies to Jesus? Absolutely. Jesus is the only thing that by the grace of God, I'm not in that lifestyle anymore. And it was in 2003, July 27, 2003, I was driving to go to work at the Pink Pony and I felt a conviction on what I was doing was wrong. I had already been going to church. Nobody in church told me to quit dancing, that it was wrong. It was my own convictions on what I was doing was not good. And so I made that decision to walk away from that lifestyle. But when I made that decision, I also made a decision that I needed to basically pay it forward. I felt like God wanted me to help other girls that were stuck in that lifestyle because my sister at the time was still stuck in it. And Jesus is the only thing that has healed our family. My sister is doing outreach now. She is in oh, Alabama wow. doing a for Sarah chapter in Mobile, Alabama. So that just tells you like, and she's in church, like she's serves her That's church. amazing. So it just tells you how important it is to have Jesus because he does give you purpose and he really does have a plan for your life. We, I don't know what your plan is. You don't know what mine is, but he does. Right. So it was definitely going to church and really my mindset was I tried the drugs. I tried the men. I tried the alcohol. I tried everything. Why not try God? And I, that's what I did. And it, it so far it's worked and I have no regrets. Wow. That's so good that like your family is going to leave a legacy now. So your sister's going to start that chapter. And when are you guys going to open up the house? Is it, are you guys getting it prepped and ready? Oh, our house has been open. It, we actually are celebrating three years on December 1st. Okay. So and, not that one, but the other one. So the one you're uh, at now. The one that's the one that's open. We've been open for three oh, okay. years. Oh, so, so where you're sitting. Oh, go ahead. We are, so we are, our goal is to open a second house. And in the second house would consist of, because sometimes when the girls come to us, they are, um, they get attached to us and they don't want to leave us, but they have right. to because we're not a long-term residential program. But our goal is to become that and to have more houses. And so that's what our plan is in 2022 is to expand for Sarah and open another house. And of course, you know, with funding and COVID and we of are course. survivor led. And, yeah. um, and so it's just trying to pray about that and be in God's timing on that and his will and just really trust in that he'll make a way for us. It's just right. I like how you said, Casey, survivor led. And you and I have talked about this, how I notice, and maybe you've noticed this, that Sometimes survivor-led initiatives don't always get the attention, number one, that they need from the community. Number two, people don't necessarily give to organizations like ours. And mm -hmm. we need to change that. Mm -hmm. And everyone that's watching this right now and listening, I want you to go to Casey's website. What's your website, Casey? It's for Sarah.net and it's the number four and it's Sarah with an H.net. Okay. And what other social media handles 
can you share? We're on Instagram and it's for Sarah INC, like for Sarah Incorporated is on our Facebook and on our Instagram page. And everyone, I want you to go to her website but, You know, Amy, and I want you, go ahead. Go ahead, Casey. I was going to say, you know, we, with being survivor led and, you know, people have always told me, you need to be out there more. You need to be out there more. You need to put your face out there more. And I'm okay with just kind of being low key and doing the work because it is not about us. It's about Jesus. And if it's meant to be, he provides and he has provided, you know, of course yes. the road is never easy, but you know, I trust that he will provide and he has provided through these years that we've been in, um, been open and been doing the work that we do, but it is always a struggle and but yes. that's just ministry. I know. But so I want everyone to go to her website and donate if you can and bless her because you're doing a great work, Casey. And I'm so happy for you guys and that you're going to expand and bring more beds and shelter for ladies that are suffering in the sex industry that have been trafficked. And you are a glowing light for so many around you. And yes, you glowed all the way to Las Vegas because I learned about you and I was like, wow, she would be a cool person to meet. <laughs> we finally got to meet. I and, I and that's so good though. <laughs> and, and I've watched you from afar too, Annie. And it was like, you were my soul sister, just in another state, but it's Aww. just comfortable that it, you know, it, it, we're all still doing it and we're not giving up and God has yeah. you know, together for a reason. <laughs> Totally. And it doesn't matter what happens. We just keep going. What would you say? Last thing, what's the best advice you could give someone about your life and maybe even the advice that you would have said to yourself at a younger age? Whew. Well, I always regret it. Not going back to school and get my college degree in it. And I, you know, I was a high school dropout and got my GED and did a little bit of college and then got stuck in the strip club and did real estate on the side. I wish I had always, you know, finished and got my college degree. And I'm actually made a decision this year uh, I, to go back and get my bachelor's. And if I could tell anybody, even if you are in the industry, never, ever give up on what you want to become you know, what you feel you have a purpose for. Because even as a um, young girl, I knew I wanted to help women. I wanted to help abuse women. And so that calling was on my life, even as a small girl. And I never forgot it. Wow. As soon as I got in church, God confirmed that and opened the door for me. But it's because I was consistent and I never gave up on who I am and who I knew I was. Girl, you are such an inspiration, Casey. Thank you so much for coming on today. Tell them the website one more time. Thank you, Annie. Again, it's forsarah.net. That's the number four. And then Sarah with an H.net. All right, Casey. It's great talking That's to you fun. again. We'll talk soon. Love you. Yes. Love you. Thanks for coming on Bye. Pink Chair. Hi friends, it's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here? The peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to 
when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much.